1: at the end of the program, they'd be sharing with one another. and I don't know how many times I heard someone say, look, this program has changed my life. Either I was planning to commit suicide before I came here or I was planning to murder someone. My intention now is to go and speak with the perpetrator or, or the person they'd struggled with and tell them that I've forgiven them.
0: Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's Real People, Real Life and Real Faith
2: with Eric Scatterbo. Well engineers are not known for being touchy-feely type people who are primarily concerned with emotions and feelings, but rather they're typically more task-oriented and focused on buildings and structures. That's why it was a bit of a surprise when, in the middle of his life, Rob Vanderzog stopped his engineering career to get an advanced diploma in counseling and family therapy. And this led to a focus on post traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, and helping people heal from the genocide against the Tutsis in Rwanda. How did the Lord work in his life to bring about this unlikely change? We'll find out as Rob shares his story with us today. Rob Vanderzog, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Eric. Glad to have you with us, and so your journey from engineer to counselor, it's kind of a, a journey from the left side of your brain, which is known as being kind of the logical side of the brain, to the right side of the brain, which is more creative. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's spot on, Eric. I think I pretty much used the left side of the brain for engineering, and, uh, and the right side of the brain is where um, my second half of career started.
2: Okay, so the journey from the left to the right is what we're going to kind of be hearing today, but let's find out, how did it all begin? Where were you born and raised?
1: So I was born right here in Melbourne, and uh, raised in a, in a Christian family to Dutch migrant parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christian family, good, solid upbringing, and uh, yeah, that was it.
2: So you always were kind of a Christian? You always considered yourself a Christian growing up?
1: Yeah, very much so. We had a good Good Christian home. I, I attended a, a Christian school. Uh, I was very active in church. So yeah, Christianity was was a big part of my life.
2: Okay, and then at what point did you decide to go to the left side of your brain and become an engineer?
1: Well, I kind of fell into engineering a bit. I actually was keen to join the air force mm-hmm. and uh, had pretty much set my uh, sights on that. I, I enjoyed playing, loved planes, and. Uh, Loved adventure and thought being a pilot in the Air Force was the thing for me. So when I finished uh, high school, that's what I uh, went for. But unfortunately, they didn't want me. Hmm. So uh, so I wasn't successful and was left thinking, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And my brother, he had done engineering. And so I guess, you know, idolizing my big brother, I thought, well, engineering, that sounds good. Let me give that a go. And I kind of figured... Engineering left all the options open, mm-hmm. so let me start there. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got into it originally.
2: And was it a good fit for you?
1: Look, um, there were aspects of it I really loved. Uh, there was a creative side to engineering
2: mm-hmm. uh, when it came to
1: designing things and making things work, and I, I did enjoy that. But I was probably sort of a competitive person, so I just did well at school. And before I knew it, I'd really done well during the engineering course and finished with my degree.
2: And where did your career as an engineer take you?
1: So I was pretty fortunate uh, on finishing my degree. I I landed a job with Shell. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shell, the oil company, global oil company. And uh, right off the bat, they moved me to Sydney. Mm -hmm. And it just opened up a whole world of of sort of opportunities. And in my career at Shell, I had like um, 10 different jobs within 15 years. And so it was uh, a great company to work for, and it took me around the world and all kinds of different jobs.
2: And where in the world did you end up?
1: Well, I guess the pinnacle was landing a job in Barbados, of all places in the Caribbean. The job covered the Caribbean and Central America, but was based out of Barbados, and um, yeah, it doesn't really get any better than
2: that, I think. Well, as you and I have discussed previously, that's where I went on my honeymoon because my wife is from the neighboring island of St. Lucia. So, yes, I know Barbados. Wonderful island there in the Caribbean.
1: Absolutely. A beautiful place. The beaches are just pristine. The mm. water's warm and the yep. people are friendly. It was terrific.
2: Wow. So you must have thought this is the dream job.
1: Absolutely. Totally. Dream job and... um yeah, I was thinking I'm really making it in my career now.
2: But did you meet some people there that kind of changed your perspective a little bit?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting. So I landed the, uh, the job, arrived in Barbados, and the first project I had was in Haiti. And so, uh, first trip to Haiti was a real eye-opener. Hmm. Uh, I guess I'd never really traveled to a developing country before. Uh, I had never really seen or experienced um, poverty like that. Hmm. And I recall just seeing streets littered with garbage and and even passing a a dead body sitting on the side of the road was a real shock for Mm. me, who'd never really travelled outside of Australia before then. So, yeah, I'd arrived in Haiti and uh, thought, wow, this is something else. Uh, I was there to do a project, as I said, but by God's grace, ended up uh, meeting up with some missionaries who were living and working in Haiti, Mm-hmm. And a uh, young guy in particular, kind of my age, had given up his career in the States to go and, and live pretty much with nothing in Haiti and work with the local people in literacy and in um, developing relationships, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it blew my mind. And I, I thought, how does someone do that? And it kind of set me off on a, on a journey,
2: if you like. Yeah, well, tell us about that journey.
1: Yeah, so through my uh, relationship, this, this guy's name was was John Engel, or is John Engel. Mm-hmm. And he still has a, a close affinity to, to Haiti, uh, but we built up a friendship. And you know, I would go there for work, but then he'd take me on a uh, on the detour and show me uh, parts of Haiti that I wouldn't have otherwise seen, and got to meet people and see the work that he was doing mm-hmm. in bringing groups of people together recognizing the value that each person has and teaching me, if you like, about what sustainable development is and Mm -hmm. about what sharing the gospel is and um, showing dignity to people and doing all of that basically out of service to God. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that really challenged me. I'd essentially been pursuing my career and developing myself and and all that sort of stuff. And this kind of stopped me in my tracks a little Mm -hmm. bit and got me thinking about uh, the bigger purposes in life. Yeah, and so that was a real turning point yeah. for me in my, my own personal journey.
2: And then also at about that same time, if if I understand correctly, you were taking some leadership classes?
1: Yeah, so I was progressing uh, well within uh, the Shell company, and so they'd selected me for some leadership development programs and the like. Mm-hmm. And so I was participating in one of those and they, they had consultants come in and ran a series of psychometric tests and various interviews and part of it included uh, the Myers-Briggs personality type mm-hmm. assessment. And that was the one that really caught my attention at the time because after they completed that, uh, they came to me and basically asked the question, what is it you do in Shell, again? <laughs> and, and I said to them, oh, I'm an engineer in, in Shell. I said, really? And so they got me wondering where where they're coming from. (laughs) And then they quickly said, well, you're the exact opposite personality type to about 90% of of engineers and 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 probably 90% of the company, which was predominantly engineers (laughs) as well. But But
2: you hadn't been feeling like a fish out of water or that you were a square peg in a round hole at that point.
1: Not really, no. I was enjoying the journey in shell uh, and, uh, and the work that I was doing. I think I really loved the adventure side of it. So I wasn't a fish out of water, but at the same time, it's funny because I had remembered that when I finished my engineering degree and I, um, I hung up the pen and I said, I'm never studying again. That was hard work, but then realising that probably wasn't going to happen. I, I said, well, if I do ever study again, I'm studying psychology And I I clearly remember saying that, and everyone else was like, oh, you know, they were going to study an MBA or whatever. But I'm like, no, it's going to be something like psychology. So when these guys started saying, uh, you're the exact opposite type, it got me thinking, yeah, sometimes I do feel like a bit of a fish out of water. I feel quite different to others. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, I guess, a uh, a bit of an eye-opening
2: moment for me. So could we say that was kind of the beginning of your journey from the left side of your brain over to the creative side on the right? Would that be a fair assessment?
1: I think so. I think that at that time it really piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. I thought, hmm, what's going on here?
2: Our guest today is Rob Vanderzog, who's sharing with us his life journey and how he went from being an engineer to getting an advanced diploma in counseling and then eventually helping people to heal from the genocide against the Tutsi people in Rwanda in the 1990s. We'll hear more of Rob's story when we return right here on Real Faith.
0: Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources, and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith
2: Welcome back. I'm Eric Scatabo, and today our guest is Rob Vanderzog, who's joining us from his home on the east side of Melbourne and sharing how he went from being a successful engineer to being led by the Lord to help people recover from the trauma in Rwanda after the genocide in the 1990s. Now, here's more of my conversation with Rob Vanderzog. And then at the same time, the Lord was working in your heart as well.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, there was a couple of things going on. As I mentioned, the time in Haiti was really, I guess, delving into my conscience and what's the purpose of my life Mm -hmm. and was really tapping into the internal kind of values and the idealistic part of me, which is really what that personality type stuff is about, as I've learned uh, later, as I got really into it. And so the Lord was tapping into that in me, while at the same time was really growing me spiritually and was going on a great journey in the church that I was a part of in in
2: Barbados. And then what happened?
1: Well, all good things come to an end eventually. (laughs) So uh, after three years of living the dream in Barbados, it was back to Australia. There was opportunities to continue Climbing the, uh,
0: the ladder in
1: Shell And going to London And working there But my father was ill And uh, I decided it was better To head back to Australia Be with family
2: mm-hmm.
1: And so yeah Picked up the career again In Australia And things got kind of busy And life as usual But something had been stirred Inside of me mm-hmm. In that, that mm-hmm. time in um, Barbados and, and that journey I just talked about mm-hmm. And so Although life is very busy, and, you know, now I've got a mortgage and got young kids and uh, lots of responsibilities at work, I felt like I needed to make some changes in my life and not get stuck into the rut, so to speak.
2: Yeah. And then some circumstances changed at your work as well?
1: Yeah. So having been in a very demanding kind of operations job, the company restructured, and that allowed me the opportunity To do some more project kind of work But some flexibility to study then at the same time And yeah, it was a bit of a last minute thing I wasn't necessarily uh, planning on it Mm. But at a small group meeting with um, some Christian friends Praying through that night I felt like the Lord was speaking to me And I sort of put it to him, you know Lord, if if I'm to pursue something else in this psychology or counselling field Then I need you to make it clear Mm-hmm. To me. And um, lo and behold, the next morning I got up for work And I opened the front door And there at the front door was a counselling book huh. um, I had no idea where it had come from
2: Really? Uh,
1: yeah, or who had put it there But uh, it felt to me like this was the letter from heaven mm-hmm. And so uh, promptly that day I rang up the uh, the course. It was with the Australian Institute of Family Counseling. I rang them up. I said, look, I know it's sort of last minute. They said, we're starting the advanced diploma. I think it was the next day. If it wasn't the next day, it was in two days' time.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Um, they said, if you show up, you can enroll. Mm-hmm. So then I had to quickly uh, call my boss and see if I could get some leave. And he said yes. And I took all of those assignments from God that uh, he was giving me the green light and before I knew it that's what I was doing I was studying and working at the same time
2: wow and then you eventually got a two years advanced diploma in counseling and family therapy and then you started to focus on PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder how did that come about
1: well, yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, uh, part of the uh, the advanced diploma required doing a um, literature review, an in-depth sort of study on one aspect of counselling. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time I was having a few sleep issues and I thought, oh, maybe I'll do something on sleep disorders and was looking into that. But I had a sort of a, an epiphany and, and was speaking to someone else and suddenly it really sort of to me that PTSD was the thing that um, that I should study mm-hmm. and and I'd had this growing interest in Rwanda come about basically ten years after the genocide that occurred there uh, there were some documentaries being showed mm-hmm. on Australian TV and I, I just happened to watch them and I watched one and then I found myself you know watching another one they just happened to be in front of a TV at that moment mm-hmm. and recalled what I was doing at that time in 1994 and realising that I completely misunderstood what had happened in that country. Mm-hmm. And so that led me to studying a little bit and taking more of an interest in Rwanda. And so when this literature review came up and PTSD was sort of put on my heart, I thought, well, why not combine those two things together and, mm-hmm. and look at... Um, at PTSD within the context of the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda.
2: And then you learned about a new Christian program regarding PTSD, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. As I was doing the research and and trying to find out information wherever I could, I came across a seminar that was being... uh, held by uh, Dr. Robbie Sonderegger. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him. I didn't know he was a Christian, and this was just uh, this was open to all therapists and, and psychologists and the like. And as I'm listening to him present this over the course of a couple of days, I'm thinking to myself, this is really good psychology, but more than that, this appears to be based on sound Christian principles as well. Yeah. And yeah. I felt like I, I've got to talk to this guy and find out a little bit more, which I did. And uh, promptly learned that indeed he's a Christian and um, he developed his, not just the theory, the psychology theories around it, but uh, had built it on good Christian principles. And not only that, he developed it in the context of Uganda. Mm-hmm. and the, uh, in particular the child soldiers that were uh, traumatized and the, and the displaced people that had been traumatized out of what was happening over there with the Lord's Resistance Army. and
2: yeah, yeah. So
1: the material was not only great material, but it was really uh, contextually designed for the African context.
2: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but you end up eventually in Rwanda teaching this program. Is that right?
1: That's right, yes. Cut a long story short, a journey over to Rwanda to find out more about what was happening there and then testing this program with some Christian organizations there and eventually moving the whole family over there to pilot the program and and translate it and make a few sort of small modifications to it. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially, it's, it's been running for the last 10 years over there now.
2: Wow. So that must make you feel very proud to know that this program is helping so many people heal from the genocide over there.
1: Uh, I just feel humbled, uh, Eric. I've got to say, you know, what I've seen God do through that program, it blows my mind. While I was in country, and, and I've been back many times since, I'd need a translator most of the time, but I'd listen into to some of the sessions that people were having, and it was being facilitated by local people. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the, uh, the program, they'd be sharing with one another. And I don't know how many times I heard someone say, look, this, this program has changed my life. Mm. Either I was planning to commit suicide before I came here oh, wow. or I was yeah. planning to murder someone. And they're sharing that with their peers in a group of 12 of them and saying, my intention now is to go and speak with the perpetrator or yeah, or the person they, uh, they'd they struggled with and tell them that I've forgiven them mm. and to start my life again. yeah. And those kind of stories, they, they blew my mind. I heard them firsthand and I'd have to say, you know, we get feedback from the groups over there that, that are running it still mm-hmm. and continue to hear those kind of testimonies and it just blows my mind and I feel so privileged to play a small part in it.
2: Wow, so your journey from uh, the logical side of the brain over to the feelings and emotions it was complete, and and you're actually helping people heal their emotions.
1: Exactly, yeah, and and I guess it really taps into that idealistic value sort of side of me as well that really wants to see people thriving and Mm -hmm. see people recovering and having every sort of opportunity in life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I find that that is super fulfilling and is what I'm probably most passionate about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I'm still working in the oil industry, different company now, but <laughs> uh, still in the oil industry, still doing sort of a bit of engineering and project management, that sort of side. So I, I flip-flop between left and right side. Oh, of there, you go. there
2: you go. Now, sadly, your first marriage came to an end in 2015, but now within the last few years, there's somebody else special in your life?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's amazing the journey that God takes you on in, in life. And uh, yeah, a, uh, a woman I met in Rwanda, we were friends and then went separate ways and she had her journey over in the States and, and I was going through my journey back here in Australia. And then uh, we ended up um, reconnecting as friends uh, a number of years ago. And, and from that, our friendship sort of blossomed. And um, a few years back, we ended up marrying.
2: That's right. And your current wife is Frida Umahosa, who was a guest on this program sharing her incredible story of being left for dead in Rwanda in the genocide and surviving and then going on to forgive the people who perpetrated those atrocities against her and her people. So she has an amazing story. And now you're helping her with sharing her story as well.
1: That's right. It is an absolutely amazing story. And it blows my mind every time I hear her share her story, so I've been fortunate to uh, to help her a little bit with the republishing of her book, which we, we relaunched a couple of years ago, and um, yeah, and I tag along to some of the, the speaking engagements that she does and, and help support her in that. Uh, I think we both have a real passion for trauma survivors and helping out, and of course, also advocating for the, the situation in Rwanda.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, how does Frida feel about you helping people through this uh, program that you started over there?
1: She actually played a, an important role in um, in the development of that program. Uh, oh, when is that it right? Came, yeah, yeah, right at the beginning. When I was first looking to pilot the program, we had had it translated, but uh, I decided at the time it was important that we did a cultural review first. And so we, we gathered together... 12 different organisations that were involved in um, trauma recovery mm-hmm. and in uh, reconciliation work and, and that feel. Mm-hmm. And so in that first program, that cultural review, uh, Frida did the uh, the translating for me. I led it and she translated for me. And so she had an input into the, the work, the translation. And then later on, she also participated somewhat in um, helping uh, deliver the first of the the the
2: programs Hmm. so you went over to Rwanda learned about her culture and now she's living here in Australia with you on the east side of Melbourne she's learning about Australian culture
1: she is I'm not sure she's really appreciated Aussie rules football yet but but she has learned a lot about Aussie culture
2: all right well thank you so much Rob van for sharing your story with us today
1: oh it's been my pleasure thanks
2: a lot Eric our guest today has been Rob van Der Zag, who, as we just heard, is the husband of a former guest of ours, Frida Umohosa, who is the author of the book, Chosen to Die, Destined to Live, about her miraculous escape from the 1994 genocide against the Tutsis in Rwanda. To find out more about Frida's book, her website is frida.net.au. That's frida.net.au. Also, if you haven't heard Frida's story, we would strongly urge you to go back into our archives and listen to her interview. A slightly different version of her interview won a compelling content award that was given by Christian Media and Arts Australia. So you'll definitely want to check out her story at our website, realfaith.org.au. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for Rob VanderZog's story. I'm Eric Skadabo. Until next time, so long and God bless. You've
0: been listening to Real Faith and if you have any questions or comments you can send us a message through our website realfaith.org.au That's realfaith.org.au Thanks for listening and we invite you to join us again next time for more conversations about God working in the lives of people who put their faith and trust in Him. That's real people,
2: real life and real faith.